We have two readings tonight. The first one is from Acts 13, verse 44. Acts 13, 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. And then Paul and Barnesman answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal all, and all, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing men, women of high standing, and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. And so they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And now we turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 from verse 15. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord, thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Evening. I feel very inadequate to speak on this subject of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Who wouldn't? So let's uh, ask the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us now, shall we? Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you will come among us in your own distinctive way. We ask that you will open our minds to understand. We ask that you will open our lives to allow you full access and we ask that as Jesus predicted of the Holy Spirit, out of, our living, out of our inner beings, there may flow rivers of living water in this week and in many weeks to come. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The 1960s were immensely significant, uh, not least 
for the emergence of three great movements. In the world of ideas, postmodernism began to prevail and overturned <coughs> 200 years of European thought. In the world of morals, it was the swinging 60s, and that overturned more than 2,000 years of accepted morality. In the religious world, the Holy Spirit came into his own with the emergence of the charismatic movement. It's not a very good word because the Greek word charisma means God's gracious gift, and that includes lots of things, uh, especially eternal life. But that's the name that it's been given. It's the name given to Pentecostals and people who share many, though not necessarily all, of the outlooks of Pentecostals. Anyhow, that emerged in the 1960s um, with a bang. And all three of these have been highly influential and highly controversial movements. And one of the most divisive phrases in the language of the renewal was this, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. For centuries, the Holy Spirit was the neglected person in the Trinity, largely confined by Catholics to the sacraments and to clerical orders, and by Protestants to the Bible and its inspiration. But the Holy Spirit is God, no less. And the 60s saw a massive new emphasis on his power, his gifts, his life-changing ability, and his sovereignty. It was a bit like a great spring tide coming in to the somewhat barren sands of contemporary Christianity. It wasn't always as bland as that. It was often rushing up the Christian beach, making massive advance, and yet bringing a fair amount of seaweed and debris with it. Now the tide has receded to some extent, and some of the debris has been cleared up. But sadly, the expectancy and the vibrancy that marked those early days have often receded like the tide. So it's valuable in this series on the Holy Spirit to see what the New Testament actually has to say about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And first of all, we meet two surprises. It became um, common uh, commonplace in Pentecostal and neo-Pentecostal circles to agree that all Christians have the Holy Spirit in some measure. After all, does not Paul say, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him? But it's one thing, as they pointed out, it's one thing to possess the Holy Spirit and quite another thing to let the Holy Spirit possess you. That's a crucial distinction. 
And that is what the early charismatics aimed for. They looked for a critical experience of being, as they called it, baptized in the Holy Spirit and argued that thereafter it is possible to live on a higher level than on the -the run-of-the-mill Christians that lived a sort of average life. A life was possible that was overflowing, that was permanently and powerfully filled by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the phrase spirit-filled is still an adjective um, often claimed in charismatic circles. Are you a spirit-filled Christian or not? It's used to describe these high-octane Christians who live on the plateau above the rest of us. Okay, what does the New Testament have to say about the fullness of the Holy Spirit? The first surprise is that it says nothing at all. The Greek word pleroma for fullness is applied to many things in the New Testament. It's applied to Jesus. It's applied to the church. But it's never applied to the Holy Spirit. Now, that may not be important at all. The idea could be there, but differently expressed. However, it does show how ill-based in Scripture is any attempt to make spirit-filled into a doctrinal war cry. That's one surprise, the absence of that phrase, spirit-filled. The second surprise is that the word uh, pimplesi, to to be filled, um, is almost entirely um, confined to the writings of St. Luke. 22 out of the 24 references in the New Testament come in Luke-Acts. And the same is true of the word pleres, full. Clearly, Luke liked those words. But it's also clear that it would be precarious to build a doctrine upon a word that comes really only in one of the New Testament writers. So there are the first two surprises. Spirit-filled does not come, and the fill language is almost entirely restricted to the writings of Luke. But two um, main uses of the word full and fullness um, match these two surprises. Here they are. One is a general description of a person's character. A man pleres, a man full of the Holy Spirit. Although the Spirit-fullness language isn't used. The New Testament does talk of some people being full of the Holy Spirit. And it seems to be a general characteristic. It's used first of Jesus in Luke 4.1. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and it's occasionally used of Christians. It's used of Stephen in Acts 7.55, when the rocks are hurling into his head and killing him. That man was full of the Holy Spirit. It's used of the seven administrators, who are sometimes miscalled deacons, in Acts 6, the people who did poor relief, the people with the soup labels, needed to be full of the Holy Spirit, need to be a marked characteristic of them. And Barnabas, in chapter 11, we're told is a good man, full of the Spirit. So, it speaks of a person's governing characteristic. And thus we read of a man full of leprosy, somebody whose life is governed by this disease. So the meaning of someone being full of the Spirit is not hard to fathom. It means someone who is habitually controlled by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was, just as Stephen and Barnabas were. There is no suggestion, by the way, that this state is due to any ritual or to any particular experience. It's a word that describes the character of a radiant Christian full of the Holy Spirit of God. What a lovely description. But the other way <coughs> in which this notion of being filled with the Spirit comes to us, is very different. It does not refer to the settled characteristic of a lifetime, but to the sudden inspiration of a moment, a special empowering for a special challenge. At Pentecost, we read that all the disciples were both baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That was pretty decisive. There was rejoicing in the streets. There was powerful preaching. There was worship in the open air. There was praising God in a variety of tongues. But when Pentecostal Christians assume that the filling of the Spirit will always have the same uh, results as it did on the day of Pentecost, or that it puts you on a plateau labeled spirit-filled. A plateau from which you never descend. Well, then they're making a mistake. But it's not so serious a mistake as those earthbound Christians who do not believe that there is any um, plateau of spiritual life to be scaled at all. Pentecost started a new world. There is actually just five references subsequent to Pentecost when people are said to be filled suddenly with the Holy Spirit. Christians already, but there comes a special filling for a special task. These fillings all have a specific aim, and all of them are different. It'd be quite interesting to have a glance at them. 
The first one comes in chapter 4, verse 8, when we read that Peter, who had already been filled at Pentecost, was filled afresh for an extremely tough preaching assignment, bearing witness to Jesus in front of an exceedingly hostile audience. You need a special filling of the Holy Spirit for that. There were no tongues, there was no praise, there was no never-to-be-repeated uh, initial experience then, but an empowering for bold speaking, a special filling for a special opportunity. That's the first of one. one. Filling for proclamation. And a word to preachers, all of us who preach need to get onto our knees beforehand to ask that the Holy Spirit will fill us afresh for this immensely privileged task. Here's the second occasion. It's in chapter 4, verse 31. After Paul and John were released from prison for their preaching, <coughs> they went back to their friends and they held a wonderful prayer meeting. And when they had prayed, we are told, that the place was shaken where they were, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled before. But at this time of prayer, of casting the situation of a baby church faced with an extremely hostile Sanhedrin, as they cast that on the Lord, they needed and they received a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and we read that they went out and proclaimed the good news with boldness. A filling for proclamation, a filling at a prayer meeting. Have you ever known a prayer meeting like that? They sometimes happen. The third um, time that we meet this special filling with the Holy Spirit is in chapter 9, verse 17. Following Paul's con Saul's conversion, which was the name he was using then, uh, Ananias came to him and outlined the complete reversal of his career plans. From henceforth, he was to be God's instrument to bring his name to the Gentiles, to those who had never heard. And in that first reading tonight, we saw Saul... <laughs> And Barnabas getting fed up with the opposition in the Jewish synagogue and saying, we are going to turn to the Gentiles. That was the primary calling to which the Lord had commissioned him at the time of his conversion. That filling of the Spirit, when Paul was in Ananias' house, in the dark, blind, and launching on a new life, that was a filling that meant God's guidance and his empowering for a totally new way of life. Some of you may have had a powerful, clear guidance like that for some major change in life. And you know that it was the hand of the Spirit of God filling you for that decisive and perhaps dangerous move. The fourth reference to 
a special filling with the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 13, verse 9. Paul and Barnabas are confronted by a man deep into the occult, into witchcraft, into dark forces by which he was seeking to control the Roman proconsul of Cyprus. And these guys, Saul and Barnabas, are trying to bring this man to the faith. There was a battle of power. And Paul was given a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit. And this man, Elimas, was struck blind. The occult is very real. And you probably will not notice that in Britain. And you certainly won't be able to overcome it without a special filling of the Holy Spirit to meet the challenge. I have had that, and I know it's true. I don't want it. But if you are ever facing the darkness of occult forces, education, psychotherapy, nothing else will shift it except a power encounter with the Holy Spirit of God, and for that you need to be filled. And the last reference to um, the special fillings with the Holy Spirit comes in the high felt of Turkey, Pisidian Antioch. We had a um, holiday up there just recently. It was absolutely marvelous to see all this stuff so high up that Paul had gone with this gospel into this wild, wild country in South Galatia. And Pisidian Antioch was the capital of the area. And the gospel had taken root there. But so had persecution. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, we're told, in 1352. You need a filling like that if you're going to be able to rejoice in hard times and injustice that gets meted out to you. Now, that is what the New Testament teaches us about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's gather it together. Christians should be full of the Spirit as a general characteristic, like Jesus was, like Stephen and Barnabas and the seven administrators were. That should be our normal state. Alas, though, often we are governed by spirits that are very different from the Spirit of God. And so we rightly look for special fillings <clears throat> to meet special circumstances. Maybe you're called to speak for Jesus Christ. It might be in a barrack room. It might be in a legal office. It might be anywhere. But you know you've got to say something. And you need that filling of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> it may be when we're gathered to pray on a Monday evening for the work of this church and far wider in the world. We don't need to go through just a list of intercessions. We need to cry for the Spirit of God to fill us and to prompt us to pray as He longs for us to pray. Or when there is a 
parting of the ways in our lives, and we know we have to make a critical decision. We need to cry for the Spirit of God to guide us. Or when we come face to face with dark occult forces. Or when persecution and injustice marks our way. We need to ask for a special filling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so it's right for Pentecostals and Charismatics to stress that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit showed Himself in speaking in tongues. They're right. They're right to show that almost immediately after that, in Acts, you find the Spirit giving healings without medicine. They're right to stress that there are times when the Spirit of God enabled people to cast out dark forces from governing other people's lives. They're right to stress that. <clears throat> and these things are too often forgotten by Christians who would certainly not call themselves charismatic. But it's also important to remember that bold witness and united prayer and godly administration and poor relief and courageous joy in the face of opposition are no less marks of men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So we need to ask ourselves where we stand. Do we know anything of being filled with the Holy Spirit? You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit in your life. But do you know what it is to allow Him to fill you? That is Paul's challenge to us all in the second reading that came tonight in Ephesians 5.18, where it says, don't let your stimulus come from booze, let it come from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the context there is Christian behavior. The light of the gospel shines in dark places like Ephesus or like Oxford. And so we must watch over our lifestyle and snap up opportunities of service, getting our stimulus not from alcohol but from the Lord's great spirit if we want his light to shine in dark places. That's our calling <coughs> this week and every week. And we need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is in the present tense. It means go on being filled with the Holy Spirit if we're to make any impact in today's society. trouble is we leak and so we need to come back for renewed filling what a mighty calling this is what what a, what a marvelous provision of the lord not only to save us and bring us into his family but to say i'm going to give you a new dynamic a new power that is meant to mark your character over the years, and the more so as you get older. And I'm going to give you the invasion of this power specifically when you need it at specific times. 
A distinguished preacher put all this very sharply. Do you say this being filled with the Spirit happened when I was baptized or when I was confirmed or when I was converted? There's nothing more for me to seek. I've got it all. Got it all? Well, if you've got it all, I simply ask you in the name of God, why are you as you are? If you've got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? You cannot be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit without knowing it. It is the greatest experience one can ever know. The teaching that assumes that we may feel nothing at all runs entirely contrary not only to the teaching of Scripture, but to the recorded experiences of countless Christians down the ages. It is that mighty Spirit of God that the Lord offers to fill our lives. And so I, I, I repeat, where do we stand? I want to conclude with four pictures which may speak to different individuals. <clears throat> you can think of your life as a boat. It's designed to be in the water, the water of society, corrupt society, but it's not designed to have the water in it. A boat meant to be operating in society, but sailing through it. A boat that is equipped to sail the waters and to carry good things to needy people round about us. So here's the first picture. <coughs> there is a boat. It's upside down. Hello. It's not in the water at all. It's on the bank. It's meant to be in the water, bringing good news and bringing people, but it ain't. It's parked on the side. It's empty. It's upside down. It's dark inside. It's a picture of a person who is designed by God to carry his good news on the waters of society, but is upside down still, is empty still, has never invited the life-giving wind of the Spirit into his or her life. There's only two people who know that. One is you and the other is God. Does that picture speak to you? Here's the second one. There's a boat, as you can see by that jetty there, it's in the water. It's got a stage further, it's no longer up the bank. But it's tied fore and aft. If you like, it's, it's chained, it can't get away, it can't do what it's meant to do in carrying good news on troubled waters. It's bound. Can't operate. And many a life is like that. Many a Christian life is like that. It is indeed a Christian life. It is indeed the right way up now. It is indeed inhabited by the Spirit of God. But it's bound. 
It can't operate properly because of addictions and bondages. A habit. Someone you can't forgive. Uh, some prized area of disobedience to the Lord. And if you feel that your life is like that, it would be a great opportunity tonight to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to cut us free from those addictions so that we can fulfill the purpose for which he's made us a boat to go in the waters. Here's the third picture. It's a picture of people rowing in rough water and they're making no progress. They may even be going backwards. The waters that some of us will have to row through this week may be very difficult. The normal situation that we're in may be very difficult. And we feel, I'm going to try. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to row. I'm going to do my best. Admirable. But it doesn't get us very far. It may even get us backwards. Because we're relying on self-effort. And the Christian life is not about self-effort. It's about self relying on the effort that the Spirit of God can induce in our lives. And so let's move to the fourth of these pictures. It's about cutting through the water with the sail erect and with the wind filling it. It's fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. If our lives are like that, we'll see it's a partnership. We've got to erect the sail. We've got to ask the Lord, the Spirit, to come and fill us. We've got to repent of the muck that's in the way. That's our side. But his side is the wind, the breath, the power of the Spirit of God that will make that sail billow out and drive us through the water. The overcoming life is a partnership. We need to erect the sail and expect the Spirit to blow us along in the path that He chooses. If you feel you've got it all, if you feel that like that last boat, uh, nothing more is necessary, I encourage you to stay seated and to pray for the rest of us. But if one of those earlier pictures speaks to you, I'm going to invite you to do something we rarely do in St. Andrews. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to put your hands out in a gesture of supplication and asking. You're asking the Spirit of God to come and do what you cannot do. It may be that you've never actually asked the Holy Spirit into your life. That you're like that upside-down boat. Don't leave here tonight without getting that sorted. Come, Holy Spirit, come into my life. There's room for you. It may be that you're gripped by stuff that you cannot get clear of. Why not tonight stand and with hands outstretched, Ask the Holy Spirit in his power 
decisively to snap the habitual failing. You may fail from time to time, but to snap the habit. It may be that you've been struggling on in your own effort, and you need an overwhelming filling of the Spirit of God to enable you to fulfill what you know you're meant to, that cutting of the boat through the water of society. So if you're in any of those categories, I invite you to stand now. We're going to have um, a wonderful ancient song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. That's often sung at ordinations or confirmations. Let's make it very much a prayer for ourselves that the Spirit of the living God will fall afresh on us and meet us in whatever of these needy situations we are in.